Welcome back to the show. We're about to learn the secret sauce. Thanks so much for making the commute up. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't even that bad. I just complained because I have it so easy, like working from home and living close to things yes. that I enjoy and walk around. And if I have to drive more than 15 minutes, I, I whine about it. So thanks yeah. for listening to me whine. So, honestly, <laughs> I'm very similar in North Oakland. I never, I took a train everywhere to get in the city and uh, never filled up my car. Like yeah. it, took, it would take a long time to fill up the car. Such hard lives we live, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all about the um, the European lifestyle, walking to get my cookies and yep. and coffees and stuff like that. I don't know why I said cookies, but <laughs> hey, sometimes you need a cookie with a coffee. Yeah, don't 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 yuck your yum, I guess. Anyway, speaking of which, <laughs> uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Why don't you tell us uh, who you are? Sure. Yeah. Um, my name is Chance Chance Strickland. Uh, I work at Remix. Uh, Remix is a web framework that aims to help you build better websites. And I've been doing that now for a little over a year. And when it comes to what I actually do at Remix, I don't know how to answer that question uh, quickly, so we can talk more about that stuff later. But yeah, I've been doing that for a while. And before that, I worked at a, on a team called Modules, uh, working on Radix UI, which is a React oh, uh, UI library. I have no idea, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, worked on that for a little while, um, and that was post working on Reach UI. So I've been in that space. Before I w moved into frameworks, I was really big into the low-level component libraries, accessibility-driven stuff, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and Reach UI is uh, also Michael and Ryan. Did they also create that? It was, yeah. So I've been yeah. working with Michael and Ryan in some capacity for a while. I worked on the React training team, did a lot of workshops with them. So yeah, I've been, uh, been working with them for a bit. Excellent, yeah. And uh, we'll, we didn't get to that in a second, but I want to like talk a bit about your origin story. So. We met in Render ATL, mm -hmm. um, but you're from Atlanta, right? I am, yeah. So Atlanta proper, like where in Atlanta? Uh, no one is from Atlanta proper that yeah. says they're from Atlanta. We're all from somewhere <laughs> yes. remotely close. It's, exactly. Uh, you know, very I'm from Tampa. Oh, okay. But not go. Tampa proper. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Just we're, north. We're familiar. Uh, yeah, no, I'm from a little suburb called Kennesaw-ish area. Oh, yeah, this north. Um, spent a little time uh, up there, and then I moved closer to the city as I got through college, and I did live in Atlanta proper for several years before I actually did left Atlanta. Did you go to Georgia Tech? No, I went to a school called Southern Polytechnic State University that used to be a subsidiary, subsidiary of Georgia Tech and eventually got absorbed by Kennesaw State. Okay. So, yeah, I'm technically a alumni of Kennesaw State now because my college doesn't exist. So <laughs> excellent. Also, RIP ITT Tech as well. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know why this is so random. But sure. Um, so you studied uh, not not CS because I did not study this. CS. No, yeah. uh, I studied architecture for the first three years of college. Um, actually, really enjoyed architecture. I was an intern at an architect firm it, when I was like fifteen. Actually, I got an internship as a uh, a CAD, just a CAD guy uh, writing CAD. And, um, yeah, I did that for a little while because in high school I took a drafting class and I really enjoyed it. I was always really into drawing. And so technical drawing felt really interesting to me and I was interested in computers and, uh, I just, you know, I had a lot of fun just drawing plans and did that a little in high school and then just decided to go pursue that as a career. Did that for three years in college, had an internship in college as well. And then I think it was when I got exposed to the actual field itself beyond just like goofing around on CAD and building models in school and all that stuff, getting exposed to the, the career itself, I realized it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. 
And so I moved away from that as a career pursuit. And my degree was actually, I, I switched my degree and studied technical communications. What, what, what is that? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, it's a lot of things, but really like technical writing is a big, okay. it's a big type of technical communication. Also there's technical drawing. So there's a design aspect uh, and there's a writing aspect, any sort of communication uh, for non-technical audiences. So, you know, documentation is technical communication. Okay. I'm starting to uh, realize why you have so many hats at Remix, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so technical communication, and then did you have a career in that? Uh, sort of. So I graduated college at the unfortunate uh, year of 2009. Yeah. Okay. Um, right when it, I graduated. Yep. Yeah, and right when the economy just sort of bottomed out yep. and um, jobs were hard to come by. And I basically took whatever I could get and whatever I could find. Now, technical communication, like I said, has many um, potential arms, I suppose. And my focus at the time was graphic design. So I was doing like technical design, technical drawing, that sort of thing. Um, and so I was sort of leaning on that graphic design path and in some sort of technical capacity. Um, but again, the economy was what it was. And I was working in a restaurant and I just wanted to like get my foot in the door somewhere, right? So I was gonna do pretty much anything, you know? And that's exactly what I did. The first opportunity I got, I was bartending and one of my customers and I were just talking and I was telling her about what I was doing, what I was looking for and that sort of thing. And they had a graphic designer who was going on maternity leave and they were looking for a very temporary intern to step in for just like three months. And they paid $12 an hour and it, I knew it was going to be done in three months, but to me it was something on my resume, you yes. know, beyond bartending and working yeah. in restaurants. So it was an opportunity. I jumped on it. I got the job. They ended up actually extending my internship for another three months after she came back, which was great. And then actually made me an offer. And that was my first like in office job. Now this was at a public relations agency, um, <laughs> okay. which I had no particular interest in pursuing as a long-term career. But again, it was an offer, it was an opportunity, and so that's what I took. And so I did some graphic design work there. I got to put my technical writing chops into practice and, and do a little bit of writing. So yeah, it wasn't exactly what I was looking for, but it was a, it was a foot in the door somewhere, and that's how I got my career started. Okay, excellent. So you got your career started, graphic design, which is that a, still a, a role that exists? Because I feel sure. like the that area has like expanded because like you, I don't know. I know some graphic designers from back in my college days and mm -hmm. have moved into like marketing or moved into writing code. Um, but I guess it doesn't exist. Um, yeah. So what got you from graphic, graphic design to writing open source code for VC backed startups? Yeah, um, the, the path is just not really that straight. And so we have to go back in time for a minute. I was in bands in high school and Every band in, in my era of high school needed a MySpace page. We needed a little website. And so I, you know, I didn't really know how to make websites, but I knew, I think I had, I think it was Firework. No, it was Dreamweaver first. Dreamweaver, yes. Dreamweaver. I'm a big fan. Yeah. So that's how I learned how to, I, my, my first websites were in Dreamweaver. Then I need to figure out how to like upload them somewhere. So I had to learn about how to connect to an FTP server yep. somewhere and, and drag the files over and all that stuff. And oops, I made a mistake. I have to go and like update this Photoshop file to fix the picture and yeah. move it back over uh, to the server and all that stuff. So I, I did, I was doing all that stuff in high school and then MySpace came around and we needed to make MySpace pages. 
before MySpace, it was like everything was just Photoshop slices as far as the design is concerned. I was doing everything in Photoshop. You probably remember this. Yes. You're making these buttons, you're slicing them out, you've got the hover states and all that stuff. Um, but CSS wasn't really the powerhouse that it is now. Yeah. But when CSS, I'd say for me at least, CSS became a thing with MySpace became a thing. Yeah. And we all wanted to make our MySpace look awesome. I wanted to make my band's MySpace look awesome. And so I had to learn enough CSS to, to make that happen because that's all you could really do on MySpace. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning programming by accident here just to, so that my band's stuff can look pretty presentable on the internet. Yeah. Well, uh, quick pause. Like, sure, what type yeah. of music did you... Oh, at the time, I think I was playing, I was in a screamo band in high school for a minute. I was in a metal band for a minute. Um, just like my career, my music uh, has also been all over the place. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. I listened to a bit of screamo back in the day. Okay. I, actually, I was a big fan of Emery. Okay. Uh, that was probably the only screamo band I listened to. I think I saw them a few times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They also have a podcast. <laughs> okay. And uh, I don't listen to podcasts anymore because it's I, not, not relevant for me today. But sure. The yeah, I'm very familiar with the scene. Also, MySpace. Also, my twin brother had a band. Oh, nice. On MySpace. Didn't know you were a twin. That's awesome. Uh, today you learned. Yeah. Uh, since birth, by the way. And uh, I would assume so. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's just like it's like the dad joke of twins. Like you just gotta you gotta get it in there. Um, but yeah, my twin brother also had a MySpace. I learned MySpace, cut my teeth in like CSS through MySpace. Okay. And they actually won a radio show uh, because it was like vote for the best band to open for Bon Jovi. And uh, right. because they had MySpace and it was like on the earlier cusp of it, they ended up using MySpace to get all like to flood the votes because uh, it was always yeah. it was all online. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the pre Twitter Twitter poll. Yeah, of, and then, yeah. so they ended up opening up for Bon Jovi. And uh, that's pretty pretty awesome actually. Yeah, pretty awesome. Also, yeah. I had no idea who Bon Jovi was, but I was I was there. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I got a free ticket. So yeah, there there it was. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it was pretty cool. But yeah, sorry, sorry to digress. But no, no, you're fine. Get that um, in there. I, I do. I feel like that's a common starting point for a lot of developers of our era just because i i don't know it was just there and it was so accessible and we were all new to the internet and just sort yeah. of figuring it out and the people and, who uh, were interested in, in the technology just sort of dove in and started playing with it yeah i was gonna say um it's the west boss origin story as well okay. i don't know if you know west boss's origin story but yeah it's, i knew he was a big scene emo kid too yes so, yeah. it was the same yeah, yeah. thing i don't think he was in the bands but he was doing the graphics for the okay. album covers nice that was um, another big hobby of mine in high school too. Was just making album covers for albums that didn't exist. Exactly. Yeah. That's how you get. That's how you how you start. And that's what I do in open source. I build a bunch of projects that don't exist with no code. Okay. But the README is like on point. Okay. README driven development. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I, I digress. You, you continue, please. Okay. So yeah, all this is happening, and eventually we get to the point where I'm in I'm in college, and we we actually had to build a few websites for some classes that I took in technical communication. None of them were super advanced but we just had to do basic HTML, CSS, that sort of thing. And so all the while I'm like figuring out what the heck I wanna do for work. I'm also just sort of goofing around with this web stuff and slowly adding to this knowledge that I never had any, I didn't know I was gonna use it ever. It wasn't my career path. It wasn't even in my mind as something I could do for a living. Yeah, you probably didn't even know you could get paid for it. Or no, maybe, were you getting really. paid for the band stuff or was this no. your band? No, 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 okay. no, no, absolutely not. Um, we'll get to my first paid gig, but I was, uh, so yeah, I was at the, um, at the prop, the public relations agency. I was working on designing a newsletter for one of our clients. It was, uh, so we were all, again, we were all in Photoshop doing that sort of thing. And then eventually they found out that I could build stuff on the web. <laughs> and so I got roped into doing their newsletter. So I was building HTML emails, which 
still oh, suck. Yeah. So not, yeah, still not good today. Yeah, they're still not good, but they were even worse then because we, I think we had to support. It was in addition to the newsletter itself. In the email, we had to also uh, be able to launch it on uh, on the browser, so you could click from the email to the browser and all that sort of thing. So it was a shared code sort of situation, and it had to run in I think IE six. So I got to learn about the the perils of IE at the time. So that was fun. Yeah, what year was this IE six? Oh man, I I I want to say like two thousand. Uh, 10, 11. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I was still supporting IE 11 in like 2016. Okay. And that was like with the decision, like next level JavaScript, everyone just sure. give up on IE. Uh, and then Edge came. Yeah. But yeah, that painful browser. It yeah, just eventually I, got really painful. I think that we were even further behind than the times were then. So yeah. I might get my years wrong, but we were just, our client was, it was such a big enterprise situation and they wanted to support everything. And so yeah. it was, we were always like a few steps behind whoever whatever the rest of the industry was doing, right? Um, so yeah, and then my first paid website, like on my own, I did like a freelance project for a friend who was in a band and he needed a website for his band and he knew that I had built some of my band's websites back in the day because we were friends in high school and he reached out and believe it or not, I built a website for him on Tumblr. Okay. <laughs> and so I yeah. sort of fooled him into believing it was like a standalone website, but I bought a domain for it and just redirected it. Which is like, but it if, was just all Tumblr blog. If, if anybody yeah. who's listening who might be like early Gen Z, that's like building a website on Instagram. Like, sort of. I mean, yeah. you, you do have more freedom though. Cause yeah, you do have some flexibility. You get to do yeah. all the CSS and all that. So you get to make it look nice. But and it's a functional blog essentially. Yes. Which is all you really need for a band page. I mean, you yes. need to tell people when you're having shows. It's kind of it, right? Yeah, honestly. Promote your stuff. It, and honestly, Tumblr's still around. Oh, it's and, there. Um, I don't know if it's as flexible as it used to be. Yeah. It may have clamped down on that stuff. Yeah, they but, got purchased and then got unpurchased. Yeah. And I'm not sure what's going on. But someone mentioned it recently that they had a Tumblr. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my first paid website, like independently paid website. And so after the public relations sent, I moved to Nashville, lived in Nashville for six years, and had a job at a, a small PR firm there for a while. And then I started working for a very, very small startup, just a local advertising agency. And this was, it was like three people. And it, I wouldn't even say it's a startup, it was just one dude who wanted to run a little small agency. And we, because it's three people, you all sort of do everything, right? And so it was, I, I got hired to do design, but again, if somebody finds out you do this or finds out you do that and it's a small enough company, you're gonna start doing that thing, right? Yeah. And so, it was the same situation where we needed web work. Uh, we were outsourcing a lot of it, but then they found out I could build web stuff. And then I learned how to build in WordPress. And I'd say this was like really what I would say is the start of my web development journey because that was when I moved beyond just making things look pretty yeah. to being able to make things function, right? To build functional websites beyond just like leaning on Tumblr and MySpace and yeah all these platforms, I was able to actually launch my own websites with WordPress and, and write some PHP, write a little JavaScript, make things actually do things, you know, um, wrote a few plugins eventually and just sort of get kind of deep into that. Even though it wasn't my full-time title or anything like that, I was still um, doing all this design work as well, um, as well as communicating with clients. I was doing all kinds of stuff. It's three people, you know? Yeah. And then, um, then I got a job at another agency as a project manager, and I was doing that. I was working as a project manager on the web team and did that for about a year before I realized that I thought what the developers were doing was more interesting than what I was doing. 
I got tired of, uh, you know, making timelines and writing emails and all that sort of thing. I was like, I want to build stuff again. Like that was kind of fun and I want to get deeper into it. We were doing more interesting work at this agency, um, more like appy type things and deeper integrations into other platforms dealing with APIs and that sort of thing. And I just, I was like, I want to learn that stuff. That sounds really interesting. And I convinced my boss to let me transition. Just, he, he basically gave me a test project to prove that I could actually do something. I did it. Um, stayed up late nights to make it happen, but I did it. And they, yeah, they just let me transition into my first official dev role. So that's kind of how I got started. It was all agency background. Yeah. And then uh, over time, got uh, just sort of moved into more traditional tech roles. Wow. Pretty cool. I mean, and that's honestly, your your story is actually not too uncommon for a lot of folks. Like the the band thing, I, I name drop West Boss. Sure. I know that's like a, a collab, like a, a very similar onboarding into in the tech, um, but also agencies and, mm -hmm. and also cutting your teeth on this, like trying a bunch of stuff. Uh, so you eventually got to the point where now you're doing modern JavaScript mm -hmm. eventually. So I guess WordPress, PHP. Uh, but how did you get to connected to like projects like reach UI? Sure. Yeah. So I was freelancing full time. Actually that last agency I worked at, I eventually quit and went on my own, uh, super scary, but was excited to do it. And it enabled me to learn a lot of new stuff because I wanted to build things that were outside the scope of what the agency was doing. And so I started doing my own thing, pitching jobs to clients and sort of stepping out of my comfort zone and I got into react. And I started working, I worked on a few uh, very small teams on a contract basis who were working on these React applications. So I got some exposure to some larger enterprise-ish uh, React apps, uh, which was really, really helpful. And I was also doing my own things on the side, just building whatever people needed. And I would always yeah. turn to React because I was just, I thought it was fun and interesting and very different from everything that we had done before. And uh, eventually I moved to San Diego I didn't know anyone here, so I just basically hit up everyone I knew from Twitter who lived here and was like, do you want to get lunch? I just want to like meet people. I, I just, I, it wasn't even career focused. It was just, I don't know anyone here and yeah. I want to like, I want to know somebody. And so I reached out to Michael Chan. Um, I reached out to Michael Jackson, a few other folks and Michael Jackson, who it, not the, the pop singer, but my boss, yeah. uh, who <laughs> at the time, yeah, who at the time, um, he had built unpackage. He, uh, they, he was the author of react router. So kind of a big deal in the open source space. And he and Ryan, Ryan Florence were working at react training, doing these react workshops and yeah, which side note, that's yeah. how I learned react okay. is did I react training. Michael Jackson led it okay. and Pinterest up in San Francisco. Nice. And it was like weeks before I joined Netlify to do front end there. Okay. I actually was meant to do full stack, did the training and I became the front end dev because nice. of that training. Well, small world, <laughs> very small world. Um, but yeah, no, Michael, we just had lunch. Nothing career wise was really discussed. We just talked, we're both big music fans and we talked about music. We talked about burgers, uh, you know, just, you know, basic stuff, just hanging out. And that was it. That was that. And I met him and, I saw him again. The next time I saw him was a few months later in Utah. We went to React Rally. Uh, I think this was 2018, 2019. Some, okay. Somewhere in there. And yeah, I went to React Rally. And um, that's sort of when we started talking about code stuff and, and work stuff. And again, I was still freelancing at the time, but I had started using Reach UI, which Ryan built a little while earlier. And they had sort of brought in the fold of React training. So I was playing around with Reach UI myself. And then I decided... I liked the architecture of it. I liked how it was built. I liked how everything was composed, um, but it didn't have very many components. 
and yeah. I needed a few other things. And so I decided to sort of emulate what I was seeing in Reach UI to build my own components. And I started building, I think it was an accordion component and I wanted to model it after the Reach UI model. And so I was talking to Michael about that at the conference and he was just like, hey, why don't you show me what you've been working on? So I pull up my laptop, chit chatting, I show him the code. He's like, huh, okay. And then he tells me that they're looking to hire somebody to come work on Reach UI. Oh, wow. They were hiring people at the time. I guess React Training was making enough that then they were. Yeah, they, they were going to use that to fund Reach UI. Got it. Um, and React Router. And so basically, yeah, their open source would be funded by what they made from um, React Training. And so they were looking to hire somebody. So it was just sort of this fortuitous timing, being in the right place at the right time and working on the right kind of stuff and then showing it to them and expressing an interest. So, and yeah, that was that. So they seemed to like what I was doing, thought it really lined up with what they were doing. And then I came and started working for those guys. So, okay. Yeah. yeah so you did that for what, a handful of years at that point? Not even, I did it for like a year before COVID destroyed everything in terms Got of it. their business because, uh, cause then react training had the shutdown. Yeah. For it was all, it was all in-person trainings, COVID hit and in-person life ceased to exist for a while. And so basically they lost 90% of their business overnight, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And the sad part is that they're building quite an empire and they yeah. were not only empire, it's like not that big, but basically they were, <laughs> but they had some big people under yeah, the umbrella at, at that time. Yeah. On, who are working for them, but also mm -hmm. their connections and also how they were helping shepherd react to be like the forefront of the front end JavaScript ecosystem. Cause like, I think even at that time, angular still had a hold on enterprises and sure. then, everyone was questioning, like, it's not, it's not a, sum, a zero sum game when it comes to front end JavaScript frameworks, which is like what I just want to say to anybody listening. It's yeah, not totally. about React or about something else, but they were just doing a really good job of just getting more people into the fold. And that's what I really appreciated about React training and me learning from that, being able to level up and be part of that ecosystem. So that shut down your, I guess the funding to support your role then got basically disappeared. Yeah. So, I mean, basically everyone's role at that yeah. point, I think they were able to, they really, I don't think they kept anyone on initially. They had to let basically everyone go. We tried to pivot to online stuff, but it was still, it was so early and people were not sure what was happening. And yeah. so everyone was just really like cautious with everything. Yeah. Uh, so budgets just got slashed all, all around. So it just didn't really work out. And it was a small enough team where they didn't have, you know, big, uh, you know, thing to fall back on. So it just, it, it was what it was. Right. And then, but I very quickly found a, a very similar job with modules, um, who just got acquired actually by work OS, but yes. modules, um, they were building a, a visual code editor. Um, and, but also they were working on a few open source projects that were going to be sort of, uh, you know, I guess their goal was to make them marketing entry points to their actual paid product. But uh, Radix UI was a library that they yep. were working on at the time that was very similar to Reach UI, both in you know its goals as well as how it was built, how it was supposed yeah. to be modeled. And so it was just a natural fit, and we found each other. I went and started working for them for a little while. Eventually, I went back to React Training uh, after they got their footing back and started doing workshops for them. And I did that for a little while before they decided we're going to start Remix and actually make a company out of it. And they asked me to come work for them on Remix. Excellent. Yeah, circ uh, that's amazing story. And like the, we actually at OpenSauce, we use Radix. Um, and we had actually sat and had to pick between Reach or Radix. And I'm glad you chose Radix because I haven't had any time to work on Reach in a while. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> so I was going to ask, like, is there any sort of support still in Reach or is, uh, how, actually, I guess with the shutdown and also the yeah, rebirth yeah. of React Training, 
is there still contribution happening in reach? We're not killing it off. It's yeah. just uh, slowed down. And so yeah. I've been doing very small amounts of maintenance on it. Um, when I ever have time, I just don't have a ton of time right now, but yeah. I've, I've been thankful. So there's a huge community of folks who have already used reach or who are still using reach who've yeah. been, um, contributing on GitHub. And I've been sort of trying to facilitate that a little bit more lately. And our big push now I think is to get everything updated to support react 18. There's just some concurrent rendering issues yeah. with some things that every library has had to deal with. Yes. And so getting those tests set up, making sure we figure out what's causing any bugs and making sure we can fix them in a reasonable way. Um, that's the work that I'm sort of focusing on now, but it's kind of slow moving. Uh, we'll get there. I'm the project's there. It's happening. It's just slowly maintained cause it's just me right now. So yeah. 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 And I, I guess this, the, um, and I, with open source, like a lot of people, they always uh, sort of throw their hands up in the air about sort of sustainability and mm -hmm. funding an open source. And like, luckily, React Training could fund your time in Reach UI. Uh, but then the, now there's like these, this problem I'm seeing. So like open source is the platform. We're trying mm -hmm. to build more insights inside of open source projects. So not just GitHub, but currently just GitHub. And um, what we're seeing is like there's a trend where people sort of like get to the point where they're like their staff level engineer for that open source project. But then they have to make a decision like, is this paying the bills or do I go on to sure. like grow my career other places? Yeah. And there's like always a turnover. And I think that's an inflection point for a lot of open source projects. It's like if there's no one else to bring up as an apprentice or to like take over like the missing piece when someone goes off to do something else, uh, things either die or they get stagnant. And we actually just talked to Jordan Harbon, who's like on TC39 and Node.js and mm -hmm. everything like that. And he has like 200 NPM packages and similar problems. Same thing with the React stuff. Like the React 18 was like enough for him to halt contribution sure. and, and maintenance on a lot of his projects. And if someone was like, hey, I want to be trained and mentored and like just show me the ropes, I can do this. And uh, that's what I, I want to do. Like the goal for open source is to open up the door for more people to get their footing. Okay. Um, because I, I talk to a lot of under, underrepresented folks, folks who go through boot camps who just need a chance. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, but that's my life. I'm used to it. It so. happens all the yeah. time. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is like, if I get to show them the ropes of like, Hey, here's how to do structure your open source contributions in a way that's sustainable or that you can help, you know, expand the bandwidth. Sure. Um, that's what I want to do. And like reach UI, I don't know if there's like, whatever the future is, like I would love to be able to inject interest in contribution in places that would be sustainable and not sort of like the, Hey, good first issues yeah, totally. type of deal, but more of like, Hey, here's how we do release notes. Like, yeah. do you want to, participate in that, in that, that project, uh, and then eventually earn your keep. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great goal. And I'd say anyone who wants to contribute, please come in and contribute. We have lots of open issues, lots of things that need to be tackled. Um, but another challenge in that realm is that all of those things that you describe, somebody still has to spend the time to shepherd those things through, yes. right? Somebody's going to have to hold your hand to a certain degree if, yes. if you're new. And so, even that kind of work is still work. It yes. still takes time. And so while it's really helpful to have contributors, it's also a little bit of work to help contributors come in and, and accept them into the fold and make sure that they're doing work that will actually get merged. Um, it's, I, I love the, the spunk and drive of people who just come in and like yeah. open a PR, but at the same time, it's like, if this isn't actually aligned with what we're doing, if you're adding a feature that we don't want, it's, it's always kind of awkward to be like, uh, thank you, but I got to close this thing because it's actually not what we want at all. Or maybe we just don't have time to maintain this thing right now. Um, so it's always good, I think, to communicate first with the maintainers um, and make sure that they have the bandwidth to 
to be there to help you through. Uh, right now, I'd say I'm just starting to get the bandwidth again to dedicate a little bit more time to it. Um, and that's kind of what I want to do now is sort of help pass it along a lot of those responsibilities and take the time to sort of make roadmaps and teach people what they need to do or what they can do to help. And I think just this morning I had someone come in and they were able to set up my React 18 test suite for me, which is super helpful because that was a big, Amazing, yeah. that was a big um, blocker for me to actually get React 18 stuff uh, worked out. And so ha just having that alone was a huge help. But before we got there, basically there's a big issue about React 18 and everyone's like, you know, it's GitHub. So they're all like, when are we going to do this? Like, what, <laughs> when are you going to stop what you're doing and come and help me? My team needs you. And I'm like, well, maybe if you hire me, we'll talk about it. But in the meantime, yeah. I got stuff to do. Uh, but I did get to a point where I was like, look, I'm just going to make a big, I'm going to make a big comment here with a big table that says, here's everything we need to do to get to React 18, right? Um, so now you know, if you want to contribute, contribute. Otherwise, get out of these issues because yeah. I, I don't got time to listen to people come and tell me they need this for their job. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's another well, problem. Well, that's, that's the thing, though, is like, I think there's a lot of... Um people feel like they're owed your time yeah. uh, when it comes to open source. And that's where like the burnout comes from. It's like a lot of people. So I actually talked to um, Pedro, who's a maintainer of Doxy. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a podcast. Well, podcast is still going. It's called the Read Me Project, uh, Read Me Podcast. And we interviewed um, Pedro because he actually got to a point where he was burnt out during 2020. Sure. Uh, just like everyone else had a lot of, had to figure out what their business was like. A lot of people also had a lot of free time, which meant a lot of open source was getting contributed to. And then he found that he was like always attached to the project and felt like he had to answer the long, big mm -hmm. issues. Uh, and then he got to the point where he's like, I'm just going to disappear. Mm -hmm. And uh, It's I, common, yeah. Yeah, and that there was a, a is it Foam, uh, which is like the Rome Research open source version um, by, man, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but he was working at an agency. Anyway, he also I had a conversation with him about burnout. And I think it's, just, it's a normal trend that eventually get to the point where like you feel like you owe people stuff and then you have to make that decision of like actually i don't owe them anything yeah and like they can come through with contributions or they can come through and like ask good questions as opposed mm -hmm. to like when when fix uh which is like the the easiest thing to type in a <laughs> an issue is like sure. when when can we expect this mm -hmm. and uh i remember recently and the, there was a twitter thread with a parcel um maintainer uh and creator and he got that, that, that issue comment of like, when can we expect a fix? And, uh, he like had this whole thread of like, I can't, like, this is going to break me if, if people continue to like sure. respond to that. And I think some people were like, the responses were just kind of disheartening and sad to see that no one really thought of him as a human. <laughs> they just thought yeah. of him as like, you're just going to be a machine that makes my job easier. Yeah. And every maintainer goes through that uh, yeah. to one degree or another. If your project gets big enough, that's going to happen. And we all sort of have our own journey to figuring out how to deal with it and respond to it. And I think a lot of us do, at least for a time, some people, I think maybe they never get out of this stage, but at least for a time, you do feel like you owe people these things. Right. And so it does sort of, even if it's not paying your bills, it sort of becomes a job. Yeah. And then you let it stress you out, you let it burn you out. And then either you quit altogether or you learn how to set boundaries. Yeah. And once you get to the point of learning how to set boundaries, I think that's when you can really like start doing some some good in the open source world. Now, setting boundaries can mean also mean different things for different people. Some maintainers want to keep their projects solo. Um, one one project that comes to mind uh, is ES Build. Um, 
Evan, who works on ES Build, does great work. I, we use ES Build and Remix. I love it. Um, but he does most of the development himself, right? Uh, he'll take PRs and stuff like that, but he just sort of drives everything. And um, it works for him. You know, it works really well. And he's also really good. You can tell in the issues, he's really good at just tuning out a lot of that noise. Um, but I think there's also an opportunity there with that noise to remind people that you're a human, to remind people that you have limits and that this is not your job and that it's not paying your bills. And, you know, I, to a certain point, if you do that enough times, that alone can burn you out too. But like, you know, I think if you can just sort of take, take a step back, realize these people have their jobs and your library is sort of getting in their way and they're expressing their frustration the only way they know how potentially. Um, so they're also human, right? We're all imperfect. And so you can take that opportunity and sort of help educate them and remind them. Um, and oftentimes I feel that approach actually helps get more people involved in the process because the person who just came in and said, I want this done, this is hurting me. You can now tell them how to get involved so that it can stop hurting them. Right. So like if you actually pitch in here, we can get this thing done together. And I've actually gotten a lot of contributors that way. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you had to get to the place where you had the bandwidth. Of course have that conversation. Absolutely. So like, I don't think, I guess if I'm, if I'm saying this out loud, like no one should have high expectations on that maintainer to the point where like you have to set deadlines for them or expect when to release. Cause like one thing that comes to mind is like the react team, mm-hmm. they've got a ton of issues and a ton of stuff they have to ship for meta slash Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but like there's tons of stuff that's been on the roadmap that hasn't been shipped as sure. well. So like, I think that issue for JSX 2.0 has been open for like, yeah, what? two and a half, three years. Or yeah. Something and like honestly, that. I don't even know. Is, has suspense been shipped or I, is that still, I don't, don't ask me these questions. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing that I, and I, I mean, no, we have suspense, but suspense yeah. for data fetching, I think is still, uh, there's some still work in progress. people yeah. are using, but yeah, it's a, it's a constant question. Um, yeah. Which and, is fine. We and it's a thing that I think either. that, uh, when the whole flux thing came out and everyone had data management on the brain about how to do that and react, I think the best thing, Facebook at the time did was like said, this is how we built it. Mm-hmm. There you go. Or GraphQL, same thing. Sure. This is how we built it. There you go. And then community came up and stepped up and said, okay, here's Redux. This is how we do it. Or here's Apollo. And then they obviously relays here, but there's so many other solutions that people can just, if it's not working for you, go build something else or fork and like move on until you can like go back upstream. But I think that should be an okay path. Like forking and getting off the upstream is a painful path mm-hmm. <laughs> if you ever want to like get back on the the right. I, I worked at GitHub and we were off the rails, um, off main of rail, rails for years. I wasn't sure if you were saying you were off the rails. Yeah, or they're off the rails. Off, okay, but it was like very common in the Ruby ecosystem to like fork and like disappear and okay. like just take the code and run with it. Uh, but it became a very because Ruby has had like some growing pains and stuff like that. Sure, it became popular to go back and merge back up to upstream and main. So okay. like the community is still around and still growing, but GitHub made a big point back in 2018 to get back on main and support rails and yeah, like continue great. to help it grow and stuff like that. Um, so I don't know. We, we all have like open source is not perfect no. and there's always going to be issues. There's going to be problems, just cultural and community and uh, communication problems. And I, I think if we're all upfront and like can share stories like this, uh, at least we can help learn from it. So next time, like we have a bug, like my biggest pet peeve is someone finds a bug in a project and they're like, I guess this isn't going to work for me. I'm going to go find something else. Yeah. And like the best thing you could do is just open up the issue. Yeah. Like I found the bug, but a lot of people just don't even. Well, I'd say it's the second best thing. The first best thing you can do is just <laughs> dig into node modules and f- see if you can figure out what's yeah. wrong. 
if you can find the bug and fix it, it's much easier to open a PR with a fix than it is yes. to open an issue saying, hey, I have this issue. So This is true, yeah. I, I always tell people, like, don't be afraid of your node modules. I know it's like this big black box, but, like, open those guys up, dig in there, just take a look. You might not be able to find it. You might not be able to fix it. Sometimes code's a little opaque, but, you know, you learn so much that way. You know, you get to read other people's code. You get to see what's going on under the hood in your own code. So, yeah. I don't know. I think it's a big opportunity there to, to grow as an individual as well as contribute to open source. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, it's like the best thing I love about open source is I got to learn React. Not on the job. I didn't get to learn it on the job, but I got to learn in fun and open source projects. Mm -hmm. um, so, if I want to learn Svelte, like, I don't have to go beg my manager to say, I want to learn Svelte. Let's, like, integrate it in the, into our ecosystem. It's like, no, just go build a Svelte project. And yeah. Be a part of the community Have and like join the it. Discord. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do want to ask, because um, we haven't even talked about Remix, but yeah. um, what you do at Remix. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything? It's, yeah. It's a small team. Um, and I like working in small teams. This is kind of like, you, you heard my sort of wild uh, origin story with all these different branches. It's That's always been kind of the environment that makes me the happiest, I think, is just having my hands in things and learning new things and getting to work on different types of, uh, of problems. Uh, and at Remix, I sort of do that because it's a small team and we all need different types of work done. And I've got this background that lends itself to different types of tasks. So communication, I get to talk to people on GitHub. I get to manage issues. I get to uh, speak with people in the community like this you know, interview. I get to do things like that, um, which is really fun. I, you know, I'm still working in the code, still writing code, uh, hammering out issues and bugs, working on new features from time to time. I, I handle all of our releases. So basically every uh, remix release, if you check it out and GitHub's got my, my profile picture on there. So uh, I, I do all of the releases. Um, but yeah, anything that needs to be done, I jump in. I'll uh, jump in and write a blog from time to time, uh, post some tweets, you know, just whatever needs to be done. We like to do it. So Excellent. Yeah. I mean, small, like early stage startup, open source project, like that's, you kind of have to jump in where you fit in. Or yep. Actually, the stupid dog quote is uh, get in where you fit in. Um, but, you know. Yeah, you all sort of feel out what you're good at, you yeah. know, eventually. But when I first, I think I was either employee number one or two. I was very, very early. And we were still a paid product at the time. It wasn't even open source. Yeah. And even like back then it was really like just do whatever you can to make these issues go away and to help move the product <laughs> forward. Um, but eventually when we started hiring more people and we started figuring out, okay, I'm good at this. I can do that. Like who's going to focus. So we're, we are sort of getting to that point where we're finding our, our sweet spots. Yeah. Uh, I learned after working on the compiler for a while that I am not the compiler guy. <laughs> so I tend not to work on the compiler, yeah, but I did work know. on the compiler, you know, uh, I did some work on that thing and, uh, probably needs to be uh, patched up a bit here and there, but you know, I got, got to get my hands dirty, but yeah, you got to get your hands dirty. You got to try it out. Yeah. And I'm curious though, remix open source project. Uh, do you take open source contribution or do you do have no. the strict roadmap? Uh, it's a strict roadmap. Well, let me back up. We take contributions for sure. We have actually great contributors. I was thinking from a financial perspective. Oh yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes, no, code we're, contribution. We're, we're funded, but yeah, Coke, absolutely. We have great contributors. Yeah. Uh, we have an active discord with people who are really excited about the project who jump in. Um, yeah, loads of great contributors, uh, very active community. We, we try really hard, uh, to nurture that as much as possible and, and, help people who want to contribute do the best that they can. Um, so yeah, that's a, a big part of my job actually moving forward will be, um, helping those folks know where they can 
best fit their talents into the story because yeah. they want to be a part of remix you know they, they're using it and we've actually hired some people that way you know like some of the people who work yeah. for us came through the open source side they Excellent. were just using remix and thought this is awesome i'm going to contribute to it and we ended up bringing them on board so um yeah lo lo loads of great contributors yeah and we did i don't think we even like made that correlation but like you worked on react training you did reach ui mm -hmm. Like those are, are those pieces, well, ReachUI, is that a piece inside of Remix? No, no. it's an independent project. Yeah. Still, but React Router is though. React Router is, yeah. Yes. Remix is built on top of React Router. And I do actually manage some of the stuff with React Router as well, some of their um, issues in GitHub and that sort of thing. I did a couple of those releases too, so. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, because like, I don't know if there's another router in React that people use. Oh, sure, yeah, the React Locations out there, I think that's a relatively new project. Okay. A React Router's, by far the biggest. It's it, huge. It's the only one I've ever used it since It blew my mind when I saw how many downloads that thing gets. Yeah. Like, it's in the billions. It's yeah. like McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, it's the McDonald's of routers, you know? Um, billions and billions, sir. Yeah, React but, what, and then there was Reach Router for a while. That was Ryan Florence's project. But those, the APIs for both uh, React Router 5 and Reach Router actually are both what sort of like merged into React Router 6 Yeah. Um, when they brought their forces together. So... Yeah, huge project, uh, great project, and yeah, they're, they're integral to each other. Excellent, yeah. Well, I mean, I just appreciate you making the drive up, sharing your story, because honestly, these stories are, yeah, they're on the open source YouTube, like and subscribe. Um, but I you think- You can't really have a YouTube channel if you don't tell people to like and subscribe. Exactly. It's just like part of the whole thing. Yeah, and my, my hope is that, that your story is very similar to someone else who's watching, and they realize, oh, you know what? Actually, I could just jump in here and I can open an issue and follow with the PR and ask for a lunch from the maintainer, which, you know, you're, you're like, you know, you're not guaranteed you're going to get lunch from the maintainer, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's worth a shot. And if you do ask for lunch from the maintainer, don't expect anything out of it. Yeah. And I also mean, I've maybe had a lot of, I've had a lot of lunches with people that never turned in anything and that's fine. I got to meet really great people. So it's just lunch, but who knows where lunch can lead. So yeah, for sure. Which is, um, my open invitation. Uh, I live in Oakland, California. I will take lunch in San Francisco or Oakland. Um, just make sure you pay, you pay for it. I will remember that when I'm in San Francisco in November. So excellent. What's uh jam conf? That's the one. I'll All right. I'll be there. there. Cool. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up. Uh, I'll show you the pizza places in uh, San Francisco. I think it's, in the, it. it's either the Mission or the Dog Patch. I don't know actually, exactly where it is, but actually, I don't know if there's really good pizza in the Mission, but someone's going to watch this and be like, Brian, you were wrong. <laughs> there's good pizza in the Mission. Um, for Anyway, we, we should wrap up because okay. we're going to get dislikes at, at this point. Um, anyway, folks, thanks for uh, watching. Thanks for uh, chatting and uh, stay saucy. Stay saucy. <laughs> the Secret Sauce of the podcast produced in-house by Open Sauce the open source intelligence platform providing insights by the slice. If you're in San Francisco and interested in being a guest on the show, find us on Twitter at SauceOpen. And don't forget to check out OpenSauce at opensauce.pizza.